Hello, everyone, and welcome to Strops Talk with Carlos Alvarez. This is our second episode, An Era of Rookies. But first, I want to thank everyone for liking our posts, sharing our posts on Instagram, and subscribing to our podcast. And I hope you're ready for episode two, An Era of Rookies. So in last week's episode, I talked a little bit about what it was growing up a Dodger fan and what it meant to me and how it resembled my parents' fight. In this episode, I'll talk about the 90s. The 90s were everything for me. I was a young kid. Like I said, my first love was baseball and the Dodgers. So in the 90s, that love grew. And that love grew with players. Players that became my heroes. Instead of Power Rangers, Ninja Turtles, uh, it was Mike Piazza, Eric Carrolls, Hidel Nomo, Chanho Park, Raul Mondesi, Todd Hollingsworth, Ismael Valdez. The list goes on and on. So I hope you're ready for the 1990 Dodgers. So the 90 Dodgers were, like I said, an era of rookie. You know, the title says it all, an era of rookies. Uh, in 1988, they capture, you know, the miraculous World Series against Goliath, you know, the Oakland A's, Kirk Gibson home run, and, you know, the rest is history, or Hershiser. Uh, but then, you know, 1990 hit, and it was really a team in rebuild without actually being in rebuild. You know, we were led by Daryl Strawberry, you know, uh, who we uh, got from a trade from the Mets. You know, uh, he had a great, you know, first season as a Dodger. Uh, we were led by Brett Butler. You know, at the end of his career, he was a pinch hitter. You know, uh, all-time, a traditional leadoff man. You know, if, if we think about it, I want to say Rafael Forcal, you know, who had great seasons with the Dodger as well. So we started the 90s with upcoming players and players also kind of looking to continue their greatness you know Hershiser had a bounce back season in 91 you know after 88 he had a so-so season in 89 and 90 you know with injuries and so forth so the 90s started off you know us winning but it was winning from players you know from other franchises there wasn't that homegrown talent you know, that my dad was used to, like I said, Steve Garvey, Ron Say, Bill Russell, you know, uh, Davey Lopes, uh, even Fernando Valenzuela. You know, he had his no-hitter in 1990, the great Fernando Mania. He had his, finally, a no-hitter. So, it was players that we, my dad grew up with and that I came to admire through his eyes, but I needed that love i needed that connection and then that's when 1992 hit and it was eric carols so eric carols uh i honestly called him mr consistent uh as during the 90s when i looked at a dodgers lineup card or you know the next game was coming up uh, i knew carols was gonna be in first base hitting third or fourth and that's what he was. He was Mr. Consistent. Nothing flashy about him. And that's something that 
Dodgers' first baseman over the history of their franchise have been consistent. You know, we'll start off with uh, first baseman uh, Gil Godges, you know, back from the Brooklyn days. Uh, he was very consistent. And, you know, for a short while, uh, we also had the great Eddie Murray, you know, but when Carroll's won the Rookie of the Year in 1992, you know, as a former UCLA baseball player, of course, at that young age, you know, I didn't follow college baseball as much. But as I grew older, you know, obviously, uh, I became a UCLA fan. Not obviously because, you know, there's a lot of USC fans. But for me, the history when it comes to Jackie Robinson being part of UCLA, uh, that that college, that Bruins, those colors, that eight clap just really resonated with me. So I followed UCLA baseball, you know, uh, and Carroll's came from UCLA, drafted in 88, and he made a big impact in 90, 1992. You know, he was named Rookie of the Year. He played uh, 10 plus years with the Dodgers, you know, and he was he became the all time home run leader uh, as a first baseman with uh, 270 home runs. Carroll's was not flashy, like I said, but he to me, he was always that clutch player, that player I wanted, you know, with the game on the line. Uh, I knew he was going to have a good at bat. You know, as the years went on, you know, every player has its up and down season. But Carroll's, to me, was like the soul of the Dodgers. Well, Carroll's was the soul uh, in 1993. Uh, Mike Piazza, uh, you know, drafted in 88. Uh, you guys all probably heard the story. Uh, you know, Tommy uh, drafted Mike Piazza as a favorite to a, to a friend. You know, Mike Piazza wasn't known. You know, he was not a well-known player uh, coming out of college. And he was a, f uh, a favor, you know. Hey, draft my son. You know, uh, you know what they say. Uh, if you know someone, you got it made, you know. Uh, so that was Mike Piazza. And for that reason, you know, his story is even much more beautiful, you know, uh, in the first episode, I did say he was my favorite player, you know, not only because, you know, he reminded me of, of pizza, but because of that, uh, he came out of nowhere and took the Dodgers and baseball by storm. So Mike Piazza, rookie of the year in 1993, you know, uh, he is the best offensive hitting catcher and the game of baseball you know before him we had johnny bench you know for the big red machine and piazza was that and more you know uh obviously i i didn't see johnny bench uh hit or play uh defensively of course uh uh johnny bench gets the upper hand on mike but offensively, just his swing, his swag, it was out of this world, you know. And that's what Mike Piazza brought to the Dodgers. You know, he played here from 1993 uh, through 98, uh, 97. 
that horrible trade, you know, uh, that I I won't go into full details. You know, that's an upcoming episode. We'll talk about some of the best traits in Dodger history and worst traits in Dodger history. And definitely letting go of Mike Piazza was one of the worst. You know, he went on to play with the Mets where he reached the World Series in 2000, you know, uh, that freeway series. And he had an amazing career, amazing career. And the thought of hearing that come out of, coming out of my mouth, saying he had an amazing career, but not as a Dodger, hurts till this day because he should have, he started his career as a Dodger and he should have ended his career as a Dodger because Mike Piazza was a once in a lifetime player. You don't trade a once in a lifetime player. And uh, sadly, that's what the Dodgers did. But he did reach the Hall of Fame, you know, as a Met. And he would always be remembered in my books as my favorite player as a Dodger growing up because of what he brought to the game. He had that swag, that confidence, and that confidence was built. That confidence came from him fighting as an uh, you know, undrafted rookie, you know, as a favorite to uh, one of Tommy's uh, close friends, and he made it. He lived that chase, that dream, and he made it to the highest honor in baseball. So... Mike Piazza, right? Let, let's get over Mike now. Uh, so 1992, Eric Carroll's. 1993, Mike Piazza. 1994, you know, uh, Raul Mondesi. You know, Mondi, uh, as a lot of you may, may have heard him being called, Raul Mondesi. I tell you, Mike Piazza was swag, but Mondesi was... On another level, man, like uh, there's a saying in baseball saying uh, there's a baseball saying that goes, uh, you look good, you feel good, you play good. To me, that was Mondesi. You know, when I saw him in right field, you know, big guy, man, like not in height, but just big, muscular. You know, he was uh, if you want to compare you know uh i've heard of clemente you know playing right field his throws uh i i could say mondesi's defense was compared to clemente you know his his power you know maybe too you know obviously clemente is a it's a it's it's a clemente is on another class you know obviously but for that short span you know that Mondesi played for the Dodgers, man, he was a 30 for 30 guy, meaning 30 home runs, 30 stolen bases, first Dodger to ever do that in franchise history in 1997. That was just amazing. Like, you don't see that now. You just don't. You know, the last thing, the last great thing we saw like that, close to that, or even better was... You know, Matt Kemp, when he was trying to do a 40-40, you know, 40 home runs, uh, 40 stolen bases, he came he came up, uh, you know, a stolen base uh, short of it. But that's what Mondesi brought, 
You know, no one was running on Mondesi. You know, uh, he'll kind of dare them. You know, you want to run first to third? Go ahead. You know, he'll he'll kind of jog to the to the hit. You know, to the single to right field. You know, daring you to go and and the first couple of seasons, you know, he was fresh. No one knew him, so they would run on him. And after a couple of seasons, they kind of knew and respected the arm, the power, the speed, the overall player that he was. And Mondesi, to me, was the best right fielder in Dodger history. So that's Mondi, you know, a uh, great right fielder, uh, just great memories, you know, watching him uh, play at Dodger Stadium. So that's three rookie year, rookie of the year uh, awards for the Dodgers, you know. And then 1995 came up, and it was, this is how rich the Dodger franchise is and how diverse. And that's another thing that connects me to this team. It isn't just... There's so much talent that the Dodgers are able to find in every country, you know? 1995 was the perfect example of that. You know, it was Hideo Nomo, you know, from Japan. You know, we've had Fernando Mania in the 80s. And then in 1995, it was Nomo Mania. That's what it was, Nomo Mania. Uh... What he brought to the Dodgers, even though, you know, it was a short-lived uh, stint with the Dodgers, you know, he'll come back again and, you know, in the 2000s to kind of close out his his career as a Dodger. And he, he had some pretty decent seasons, you know, when he returned with the Dodgers. But that 1995 uh, season by him, you know, when he was named Rookie of the Year, uh he was the closest thing to Fernando Mania before, you know, after Fernando. Uh, so Nomo was just, Nomo was just different. You know, his, his delivery was different. Uh, just hearing Ben Scully describe his tornado-like delivery, you know, just brings a smile to my face. And, just the effortless delivery, you know, I, I, you know, if you try that, you could look them up on YouTube, look up Nomo's delivery. Uh, you see a lot of, you know, oh, now that we're older, you know, I'm, you know, 35, I, I would probably have some, you know, some, some injuries with that delivery. But that's what Nomo brought, you know, he brought that delivery to the Dodgers. He brought that fan base to the Dodgers. And that community of, you know, Japanese, that Japanese community became in, more in love with the Dodgers. You know, they, can, they followed the Dodgers, just like Fernando brought the Mexican-American community. So that's what the Dodgers franchise does. They bring L.A., L.A. so diverse. They bring all backgrounds, all lifestyles, everything uh, together. And that's what Nomo did. You know, and, and not only that, I'm talking a little a lot about his impact with the community, the Japanese community, and how he connected the Dodgers with the community. 
But he was a great pitcher. You know, he won Rookie of the Year. The following year, he threw a no-hitter. He threw a no-hitter in, in Coors Field. That's known as an offensive, happy field day. You know, if, if you're in a slump, meaning you're 0 for 12 in your last at-bats, you want to go play at Coors Field so you could get back on, get back on track. And for him to no-hit the Rockies at Coors Field, that's an amazing feat. You know, uh, he would wind up throwing a, another no-hitter, you know, with the Boston Red Sox. So Nomo was really a talented pitcher, a serviceable, serviceable pitcher. He was really not Hall of Fame status, not... You know, uh, Roger Clemens, not John Smoltz, not great Maddox. But for the time that he was with the Dodgers, he was our ace and he was really uh, an anchor to our team and to the community uh, around, you know, Dodger Stadium. So how many is that? Uh, four rookie of the years in a row. Uh, and uh, last but not least, you know, we had... Todd Hollinsworth, you know, Hollinsworth, uh, I'll be honest, I wasn't a fan of Hollinsworth. Uh, He was not, you know, he was nothing out of the ordinary for me. Uh, And through the years, you know, through his baseball career, we we kind of find out, you know, that he wasn't an everyday player. You know, he was more, if you want to think about it in today's baseball you know he's a he would have been perfect uh for for the years uh nowadays you know he was a platoon player you know back in the days it was more of a bench role you know and he he kind of thrived in that bench role you know he had that great season with the Dodgers in 1996 and after that it was hit or miss you know he had a 1997 season that you know a sophomore slump you know that's what we called uh, second year in your majors, you know, after your first year, he had a sophomore slump and he never really uh, recovered from from that. You know, he had an OK season uh, a couple of years after that. Then he got traded to the Marlins, Marlins, you know, uh, the Cubs. He played a couple of years for the Cubs. You know, he was he actually captured a ring with the Marlins in uh, 2003. But uh, he played a minimum role, you know, a uh, minimal role. Uh, so that was Todd Hollinsworth. If I was trying to think about a player nowadays that kind of reminds me of Todd Hollinsworth, and you know, for some reason, uh, Jock came to to mind. You know, uh, no disrespect to Jock. You know, uh, Jock is is in another level. You know, uh, as a player, uh, besides in comparison to Hollinsworth. But the reason he reminded me of, of Jock Peterson was he never found that everyday role with the Dodgers. You know, uh, he had a great season. Uh, and then after that, it's, you know, he became a platoon player. Uh, and the way Jock has progressed through the years, you know, uh, it's the same way I saw Hollinsworth progress. You know, he'll have his big games, 
you know, uh, Jock will always be remembered as one of the best October hitters, you know, for me personally with with the Dodgers, even after having a horrible season, you know, yes, he'll hit for power, but his at bats will, you know, to me, there, there was no approach. It was let's hit it out of the ballpark or let's move on. And to me, that's how Jock and Todd Hollinsworth compare. Uh, so that's five straight rookie of the years, you know, and that's the 90s, an era of rookies. And then in 1996, you know, uh, Tommy Lasorda retires, you know, uh, and that's a change. No longer would Tommy be the manager of the Dodgers, you know, no longer would he lead grown man for that title. So that was the 90s in a nutshell. So Tommy re- retires and, you know, uh, you know how with Tommy is never, you know, there always has to be something with Tommy. You know, uh, there's a lot of stories that say, you know, after his last victory as a Dodger manager, you know, last game on June 24th of 1996, you know, they, they beat the Astros and there's stories of, you know, of him the following day driving himself to the hospital, you know, because he's not feeling well. So according to these stories, you know, he, he's had a heart attack throughout the night. So, you know, he finally retires in uh, July of 29 of, of 96. And it's a, it's a sad day, you know, it's, it's a sad day uh, in, our, in our household, you know. Uh, you know, it's announced in Univision and, and we're like, wow, like, you know, who's going to manage the Dodgers? You know, my dad grew up a Dodger fan. I grew up a Dodger fan. And the one consistent, you know, because players through the years change. But managers, great managers, stick around. And that was Tommy. Tommy was the one consistent through my childhood as a Dodger fan and through my dad's, you know, experience with the Dodgers. So that was a little hard. Uh, and then, you know, 96, 97, you know, Chanho Park, again, diversity. You know, uh, there was just so much talent in the 90s, and which became, which kind of hurt more because we were a talented franchise. We had a winning product in the 90s, and we just couldn't put it together. You know, we couldn't get over that hump. It was actually painful to see them, you know, get to the World Series and, you know, no, I'm sorry, not I'm talking World Series, you know, get to the playoffs and, you know, have a quick exit. It was it was painful. You know, uh, then in uh, 98, you know, we were the team was sold no more with the. There will be no more an O'Malley ownership. You know, through the years, that's what the Dodgers were about. So when Tommy and the O'Malley name no longer became part of the Dodgers, it it was just hard. You know, Fox bought the Dodgers. And the 90s were, like I said, in a nutshell, it was the first decade since the 1930s that the Dodgers do not appear in a World Series. 
And that, to me, were the 90s. The talent was rich. The fan base was rich. But the winning product was not rich. And that's how the 90s will be remembered. An era of rookies, but with the lack of winning. Again, thank you guys for joining and listening, subscribing to our podcast. Keep liking our posts. Keep sharing our posts on Instagram. And again, I hope you enjoyed episode two, an era of rookies. Thank you.